Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Katie F and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, June 3rd, 2016. Today we are reading from the big book, chapter five, and we are at page 67, the first paragraph. Today's readers are Nancy H, Katie G, and Janice B. The reference number for Thursday, June 2nd, is 8795. That's 8795. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous, is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Esther F. to read the 12 steps of OA. Good morning. This is Esther F. from Cleveland. The 12 steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Number two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Number three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Number four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Number five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Number six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Number seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Number eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Number nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Number 10, continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Number 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And number 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Thank you for letting me do service and I pass. Thank you, Esther. I will now ask Debbie T. to read the 12 traditions of OA. Good morning, family. Good morning, Katie. Thank you for your service. Uh, The 12 traditions. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscious. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Number three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Number four, each group should be a 
autonomous except for matters, I'm sorry, affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Number five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Number six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. These problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Number seven, <clears throat> every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Number eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Number nine, as such, oh, I'm sorry, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Number 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Number 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Uh, This is Debbie T. again. Thank you from Ohio. Thank you for your service, Katie, and thank you for loving me. I do service as well. Everybody have a great day. Thank you, Debbie. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book, chapter five on page 67, paragraph one. I will ask Nancy H. to begin reading. She will read two paragraphs and our comments will be focused on on the second paragraph. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, everyone. I'm Nancy H., a recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. We avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. We cannot be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. Referring to our list again, putting out, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done, We resolutely looked for our own mistakes. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? Though a situation had not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Were we to blame? Where were we to blame? The inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. We admitted our wrongs honestly and were willing to set these matters straight. 
while there's a lot in these two paragraphs, um, actually in the paragraph I'm sharing on, we were brought to that by telling us that um, we had, you know, we, we had to list these people and that we had to consider they were spiritually sick like ourselves. And we tried to develop empathy for them instead of hatred. And that put us in a frame of mind, I believe, um, to to take responsibility for actually for my wrongdoings and, and these matters. So now I'm checking where I've been selfish. Um, did I want something to be different? Did I have unrealistic expectations? Did I make it all about me without compassion for the other party? And where had I been dishonest? Was I codependent? I was a person who didn't set boundaries, but I expected different behavior from them. Was I blaming the other person while putting myself in a position to be hurt? That was a big one for me, which I didn't realize until now. Did I honestly state how I felt? Was I trying to hide something that I did? And then I looked at self-seeking, and that was how I looked out for my own personal gain. How, you know, how did I manipulate people to get my own way, which was quite often the case? And was I afraid? Was I afraid of punishment that I deserved? Was I thinking of outcomes, you know, instead of um, trusting God? And another one for me was, was I, did I have fear of not enough? So that was, and then we're, I added inconsiderate, and I didn't know exactly where that was, but it's on page 69. It talks about um, we reviewed our own conduct over the years. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? So I did that category as well, and I asked myself if I failed to consider other people's feelings. Uh, was, I, was I a caretaker? Was I overly demanding? Did I betray someone's confidence? So after seeing this all done on paper, I was given the opportunity by God to, to kind of um, absorb these defects in my heart instead of just in my head. And then I became willing to uh, go towards step nine and set matters straight. So for me, this was a rude awakening, but a wonderful awakening, because I realized that as much as I thought everyone else had wronged me, that I had played an important part in each one. And the thing that got me the most was um, putting myself in a position to be hurt and, and expecting different results. And for me, that was um, realizing that it was my actions that started the ball rolling. So um, with that, I think I'll pass. Thank you for letting me do service this morning. Thank you so much, Nancy. Now, who would like to share on that second paragraph? This is Katie from Boston. Katie D. from Boston. Okay, I got Katie D. Reva P. S. Reva P. Larry. Tina S. Tina S. Larry. Nessa R. Christy G. Christy G. Did you get Melissa C.? Yes, I did. Did you hear Bella G? Okay, Bella G. Okay, let's go with that. If you're not Katie G, please mute yourself. So I have Katie G, Melissa C, Reva P, Tina S, Larry K, Nessa R, Christy G, and Bella G. Go ahead, Katie. Katie, can you hear me? Yes. Awesome. KDG recovered compulsive reader, anorexic, and bulimic in Boston. Let me set my timer. Sorry. Um, all right. So here's the deal. 
we've been finding everybody guilty, right? We've been saying what they've been doing wrong and um, we've been starting to look at our own responsibility. Guys, this is the freedom. I'm just going to walk through real quick a turnaround, as we call it in Boston, and if you're unmuted, we can hear you. Where have I been selfish? So, my fiancé, um, the cause, isn't communicating with me. I can hear you in the kitchen, and it's awesome, but I'd love it if you'd mute. Um, where have I been selfish? So what is selfishness, guys? And uh, my sponsor had me look up the definition of selfish, and I still do that today. So what do I want? What does little Katie Gia want without regards to anyone's wants, needs, or capabilities? So I want my fiancé to see the world on my terms. I want him to meet my needs and put my needs for communication first. Dishonest. Now, this one's a little bit confusing, but what are the lies I'm telling myself? So if I am a good little girl, then hubs-to-be is going to do what I want. If, I'm, um, if, if he doesn't, he's out to get me. I tell myself these huge lies when the poor man is in Boston doing his job, right? But I'm blowing it up. I'm exaggerating. And the biggest one in my first fourth step, if I had what you had, like blonde hair, big boobs, I wouldn't feel the way I feel. Or in this case, if Evan did what I wanted, I wouldn't feel the way I feel. Self-seeking. So what does little Katie Gia do to get her needs met? I manipulate. Oh, everybody communicates that way. I'm hostile. Um, could you please communicate on my terms? I'm aggressive. Or I'm, I'm flattering. Oh, I just love you. I'm going to shower you with all these gifts. And then when you don't do what I want, I am going to condescend, manipulate, and be rude to you and hostile. Okay? And then fear. <clears throat> what is my core fear, right, guys? My core fear that I learned in my first fourth step is being abandoned. And so when that's activated, I, the rest of the world acts in ways that continuously abandon me. So what I love about this is I start looking at my responsibility, how I fundamentally blame people for my internal life and assume that if my external life looks good, if you do what I want, if I had what you had, I would be happy. And the biggest turnaround is that A, I'm a food addict and cannot manage my own life. And B, no human power, right? C, God, 10 and will if he has thought. And I'm going to continue in this work and 10, and 10 um, and 11 at night so that I can see what my responsibility is each and every day. Because um, without this, and I'll just end with this, without this work, eating will be a step up from how I feel. And dying would be a luxury, right? So I'm just going to continue this work shoulder to shoulder with you guys one more day. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie G. And Melissa C., you're up, followed by Reva P. Hi, good morning, Katie. This is Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. Um, you know, it, it's um, this is the area that um, I need discipline. Um, in daily work on, you know, I know that, like, this is the fourth step, and, okay, so I've done it, but um, I have to live this, because um, it's really easy for me to see everyone else's flaws and faults, where they wronged me, um, uh, that's like, 
so blatantly apparent. And, you know, um, I had something happen a, a while ago where I was having a little tantrum in the house um, that nobody was cleaning up, you know, and, and I'm tired of cleaning up after everybody, like the typical mom kind of tantrum, only I can't do that anymore. You know, that's dangerous for someone like me um, because I'm just an inch away from eating when I throw myself like a baby. Um, but as I was throwing this little fit and kind of stomping back and forth between my room and my kids' room and pointing out everything that was out of place, um, you know, I tripped over crap on my own floor. And I had to laugh. It was like, okay, you know, how much more do you need to see um, while you're so busy finding everyone else's screw-ups and how they're messing with you, you've got your own garbage right here. And, you know, it was a perfect metaphor, but um, this is the way that I need to live my life today. I need that kind of um, discipline, you know, even more tempting than the extra helping of food is the extra helping of um self-pity, you know, of finding everyone else's flaws, and we're just reminded that um, we cannot live like that, you know, that's the luxury of other people, and so even this morning, I have some work-related little uh, unhappiness, and I have to reflect on it, what's your part, Melissa? My part is that I procrastinated, I put off doing something that was my responsibility, whether I think it should be or not, that's just too bad. And um, and that's my part. I have to own my part. And you know, when I when I live in that kind of disciplined way, um, you know, I can have peace with the food. I'm honest. I can look myself in the mirror. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Melissa C. Reva P. You're up, followed by Tina F. Good morning. This is Reva P. Grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto. I love how um, gentle this process is that I'm noticing where we begin to learn the skills in step four and then continue through nine and how Bill knew and the people who wrote this book knew that I start off and all I notice is my anger and blaming everybody else. And if I stay in those first three columns, I stay self-absorbed. So this is the pivot point. This is where I turn And it's like I'm looking through a glass where I see everybody else through this window. And then God shifts it and it becomes a mirror. And I'm looking at myself. So putting out of my mind the wrongs of others, I've learned, does not mean that I'm condoning their behavior. Because other people might, in fact, be wrong. I might, in fact, be right. Um... But putting out of my mind their wrongs means I give up the hurt and the rethinking and the rehashing and as people have shared that refeeling feeling over and over and over because, you know, I was the classic, I'm going to hurt you by binging my face off um, and the only one I was hurting was myself. Um, so when I start looking at myself, you know, I've learned these four words have... Um, through this meeting and uh, the people involved, I'm learning the real meaning of selfish is just wanting my own way. And sometimes I just want my way because I want my way because, I don't know, my way is better or not even better. I just want what I want when I want it. Um, 
And a very enlightening thing for me has been the dishonesty, because I always thought, well, I'm a good person. I don't tell lies. I'm not dishonest. That doesn't really apply. But as has already been shared, dishonesty is the lies I tell myself. And one of the biggest lies is that I need to control you, everybody else, and everything around me so that I can feel okay and safe, Um, because underneath everything is always tons of fear. Um, And then as I continue with this inventory process and proceed, you know, through five, six, seven, um, especially six, seven, I realize um, I don't have to rely on myself to control not even the food, but everything else in my life um, to feel okay, because I can develop a relationship with something bigger than me and then get access to it, um, because that's the root of my problem, right? lack of power um so it's just amazing how slow and gentle he's a great salesman because he sort of you know pulls me in with just my anger list and then now the mirror is turned to me um with that i pass thank you reva p tina s you're up followed by larry k thanks katie tina s compulsive eater anorexic in florida wow Referring to our list again, you know, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done. You know, it took me a long time. I've been around a while, one day at a time, but it took me a long time to really read the the black on the white in the pages here, uh, the wrongs others had done. For a long time, I was looking at parts, and I love this big book study that I listened to. Uh, One of the guys talks about, you know, if there are parts, then whose part do you think is bigger, mine or theirs? Of course theirs, you know, so there's no parts here. We're looking at wrongs. We're looking at mistakes. And and I got to look at mine, you know. I got to look at my own mistakes and where I'd been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened. And when I put these things down on paper, and it talks about it later on in this paragraph, and we placed them before us in black and white, you know, then I could look at the stuff on paper, not all the stuff that was going on in my mind, but the stuff that was actually on paper. And when I defined each one of these words, and I looked at my place where I was selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened, you know, then I was getting someplace. You know, because as long as I was looking at somebody else, I was screwed because I was not looking at at the problem, which the problem is me, you know. And I loved what was talked about. You know, this is just the beginning. There's a process. But, you know, I have to start here. You know, I have to, you know, we admitted our wrongs honestly and we're willing to set these matters straight. You know, I want to do something in my life today so that I don't have to be the person that I was, that I can continue to let God work through me and for me. And what a gift, because that's not what I thought when I got here, for sure, for sure. And just one more thing before I pass, it says, though a situation had not been entirely our fault, and this has already been addressed, of course people are wrong, just like I am. We, di- we try to disregard the other person involved entirely, it says. So it's not just a little bit, it says entirely. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Tina. Larry Kay, you're up, followed by Nessa R. Hi, Katie. Thanks for your service. Larry K. Recovered, Compulsive Reader. Um, so it says here we resolutely look for our own mistakes. <clears throat> Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? You know, th- these instructions are, are so simple, <laughs> so simple. Yet um, oftentimes for me in my own false pride, I can try to create complexity where it's not necessary. You know, I don't have to re-engineer this process. Why don't I have to change it? Because it works. It works in its simplicity. Um, you know, and, and the, the why that I have to go through this is because as long as I'm filled up with resentment, 
you know, God's power isn't there. I don't have access to it. You know, I need God to direct my thinking. So, for example, to be selfish is, is concerned primarily with my own interests, my own welfare, regardless of others. And I need to remember that um, it will always be easier for me to detect where you've been self-serving than to see it in myself. And that's a good reminder for me because it's easier for me to judge you than to turn the spotlight onto myself. So for me to acknowledge that perhaps in my expectation that you should have treated me differently or better, you know, I was self-seeking, you know, um, where was I self-seeking? Well, it's going to require some honesty and it's also going to require a major shift in my thinking. Because let's remember, I've spent a lifetime of, of building and maintaining these resentments. And, and the formula for me to do that is just to look at who or what I resent and the cause. <laughs> That's it. I don't go any further than there. And now, yeah, I was never taught to look at what part of self did that resentment affect in column three and, and what was my part in it. And by the way, I'll mention that I don't want to confuse that last column with an assessment of fault. Like, like, see if this resonates, that I'm, I'm, as I'm writing this down, I have to convince my sponsor that I was so victimized. See, I'm still in the cause. I can't shift out of column two to column four. Column four for me was mostly about my expectation that things would be different. Because, of course, I always know what's best. I don't know what's best. My best thinking got me to these rooms on this phone right now. You know, um, it, it, I mean, thank goodness I, I'm here. But, you know, my best thinking got me to 100 pounds heavier than I am today. can't trust my thinking in that regard. I need a different way, a new way of, of, of taking a look at, at these issues. And it's simple, simple. Just try not to create complexity where it's not necessary. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Nessa R., you're up, followed by Christina G. Hi, good morning, Vision for You. My name is Nessa R., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. I wanted to focus on the, on the word or the concept of selfishness because um, when I got here, uh, if somebody had told me um, that I was selfish, I would have said, you're not, you know, you're crazy off your rocker. Me selfish, I do so much for others. I give money to charity, I volunteer, you know, I'm constantly cooking, cleaning, doing laundry, uh, I work, I, um, you know, help people, I give and give and give and give. I wake up at 5 in the morning, go to bed at 11 o'clock at night, barely take any time for myself. I don't have time to pursue my hobbies, I'm doing so much. You know, I, I'm like such a self sacrificing person, me selfish impossible impossible and you know i've learned that in program selfish selfish does not have the same meaning as it does outside of these rooms it doesn't have the same it's not the same negative connotation i'm not a bad person i'm not a giving person who uh i'm not a uh, sorry a person who doesn't give who doesn't care about others who doesn't do for others even to the point of self-sacrifice it just means I want my way. I want people to live by my values. I want people to behave the way I think they should behave. I want, I want things to be the way I think they should be. That doesn't make me a bad person. I'm just selfish. And it's, I think selfishness is really the root 
of all the other defects. I mean, dishonesty. I am dishonest, you know, to protect myself. And I spent decades of my life looking at other people's defects. Um, and I'm very, very uh, good at identifying other people's defects while at the same time, you know, rationalizing away my own defects. You know, just I spend my life in self-justification um, and self-deception as to, you know, what I was and I, and I wasn't. Um, self-seeking, it's also it's all about me. You know, how do others view me? How do I view myself? Fear. Fear is not getting my way in the future. So everything is selfishness. And it doesn't mean that I'm bad or that I don't care. It just means that what I want is, is the most important thing. It just crowds out everything else in the picture. You know, it's, it's, it's not considerate of what other people want or need. Even the help that I give sometimes, it's not about the help that people need. It's about the help I want to give so that I can look good. So um, it was very... Um, very enlightening to, to realize that, that in all that I do, I can still be selfish. And, you know, I've said this many times before, uh, it is very empowering to see my life, my, my, my part in it, because while I cannot control others, I've learned, no matter how hard I tried, and I tried and tried and tried, uh, I can't change it, but I can work on myself and become a better person, and that's why this process is so empowering and knowing how selfish I am and what selfishness truly means is um, a beginning in that process, and I pass. Thank you so much, Nessa. And now we'll have Christy G. followed by Bella G. Hi, Christy G., Recovered Compulsive Reader and Anorexic from New Jersey. And this process brings me to the, the understanding that what I was trying to do all before I got into this program, before I made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of a loving higher power who's in charge, before that, I was trying to heal myself. I was trying to reenact and replay over and over again my original trauma, which basically was whenever the first time I realized the world can be a painful place. And and I, I... I had to fix it in order to be safe, and it's all those ways. And I tried how I tried to fix it that caused the confusion. I thought that I was responsible for fixing because I didn't know there was a higher power in charge of of everything, of underlying all all of the healing. If I turned to my higher power, and hurt people, hurt people. I love hearing that. Because when I'm wounded and I'm afraid and I don't believe there's a higher power in charge and I have to um, solve problems by my wits and my will, then I'm going to cause damage. And, and that's just the way it is. And this process helped me to see that. And it also helped me to see that other people are doing the same thing. And that what, when they're continuing to do that, it's because they haven't, found out the good news that there's a higher power in charge of all of that, that that there's safety and security to be found in a higher power. And that's the that has to be the basis for this. I have to understand that because in that then it it the dishonesty is if there is a God, then I don't need to fix it, right? If there isn't a God, then I need to fix it. So 
if I'm honest with myself and I truly believe there's a God, then I don't have to try to fix. And if there is a God, I don't need to be frightened because I won't be abandoned. So, so all of this gets set right. These matters get set straight in my in my mind and in my heart, and I can I can live in a way and relate to other people in a way that comes from a place of love because I have everything I need in my higher power. I don't need to force people to heal me, to solve my problems. I don't need to try to make the world a safe place. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much. And Bella G., you're up. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella G., and I'm a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Katie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. We resolutely looked for our own mistakes. Wow, such a freedom. Thank you, God, that I have the opportunity to live in freedom. Before the program, I I didn't live. I didn't live. I, I, I wasn't important. My existence wasn't important at all. I was blaming and judging, and I was blaming because of you I am like this. Because of you I, I cannot be somebody else, only because of you, if only. You know, I, my life was a war, and in a war there is always either a winner or a loser. I wanted so much to be all the time the winner, and I was never a winner. I was a loser. You know, I didn't trust myself. Nobody else trusted myself. I I didn't have any value. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that now I am in a program. I started to learn who am I, to accept myself. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a way of doing things. Step one, to accept and admit that I am powerless. You know, no, because I am a bad girl, not because I am not smart, because I am human and this is the way that God created me. Step two, there is a higher power and my higher power is God. Step three, my loving higher power accepts me and loves me and respects me. And the most important thing, my God, my higher power has trust me and believes in me and gives me the opportunity to be responsible. And yes, I am responsible. And today I am responsible for my own mistakes. Yes, I am human and I did mistakes. I am doing mistakes and I will do mistakes. And thank you, God, I have the opportunity to take responsibility and to learn, to learn new things to learn new way, to learn another way to behave and to act. Thank you, God, that you trust me the way I am. And there is no perfect. I have all the time the opportunity to learn new things. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella G. Okay, who else would like to share on this second paragraph on page 67? Roxanne B. Roxanne B. 
Okay. Then we'll have Roxanne B, and then we'll have Katie G move on to the next paragraph after that. Thank you. Um, hello, is this Contribute? Who is this? Tracy T. Tracy T. Okay. Judith R. And Judith R. Okay. Okay, go ahead, Roxanne, followed by Tracy and Judith. Good morning. This is Roxanne B. in Detroit. Uh, good morning, everyone, and thank you for your service. I just want to express my gratitude for these steps and um, my appreciation for all of you who are working it with me. I don't know what kind of life I would be leaving, living without the solution that's offered in the big book. And right now I'm really appreciative of the fourth step. I had, uh, if you've heard me share before, I know I've talked about how um, my whole life before recovery, which was pretty much the first 50 years of my life, um, I felt like such a victim. Like I was trying so hard and I was such a good person and I was always thinking of others. Why was nothing working out? Why were people treating me so poorly? Why was everything backfiring in my face? I had such a blind spot in terms of understanding my own character defects and my own responsibility for my actions. And I would still be avoiding that information if it weren't for this program and these very simple steps and that the, and the support that I get from my sponsor and my fellows. This um, allows me to say, I wanna be free. I wanna be free so I can be of maximum service to God and my fellows. And in order for that to happen, I need to do a thorough house cleaning. I need to clear away the wreckage of my past so that the grace of God can enter me and guide me. And um, the fourth step helps me to do it. The inventory helps me to do it. And for that, I'm grateful, and I pass. Okay, thank you so much. And Tracy, you're up, and then Judith R. Yes, um, these two readings, I'm these two paragraphs we talked about, but I was thinking about how it's hard, you know, not to uh, retaliate uh, and argue sometimes. Um, the hardest part is being of use to God. Like, it's one thing not to retaliate and to be, qu- be quiet, but then how how does God want you to handle it or the higher power? Um, when I think about the wrongs I've done, it's, the biggest challenge that's tripped me up with becoming sick with this disease of compulsive overeating has been when I've been dishonest. And it it usually starts with being dishonest to myself, Um, dishonest that I'm getting overworked, that I'm feeling resentful. Um, There's been so many hours in a day for me to meet so many people's different needs, and I'm human. And I think um, that there's the ego. I, I some reason, thought I was superhuman and could uh, meet everybody's needs, make everybody happy. 